0: You're listening to the Product Podcast by Product School. So, you know, just a little bit about me. Um, You know, I've been a product manager for a long, long time. But these days, I'm an executive coach focusing on startup leaders. And so the things that I put up there are kind of the LinkedIn version of my resume, right? And I think we all know what we put on LinkedIn, right? We put the good stuff right? You want to look good. You want the high points of your career. And everybody talks about those. You know, I'm killing it. This was awesome. I made it. I'm going to talk about the other stuff, right? Because we all know if we've been in the tech industry, it's not all high points, right? We've got these low points too. And let me tell you, I have seen all of them, unfortunately. And it's really been everything, right? The worst politics at big companies. I've been laid off multiple times. I even broke up with my co-founder, you know, the startup that I founded. So this stuff is hard. And the reason that I became a coach is that we don't have enough of these conversations, right? They're important. And they're especially important for developing leadership, which is something that really the lessons that I learned most from these hard, these low experiences. And they're also, coincidentally, the things that my clients ask me about most. And so what's interesting about leadership, right, is that everyone seems to come to me with that same perspective on what leadership is, right? They think leadership is something they're missing. And like, like they've got a leadership-shaped hole in their bellies that they're walking around with, and they're trying to fill it, right, with medium articles, with books, with conferences and guru looking people and podcasts and YouTube videos. And it's interesting because in my experience, leadership doesn't come from reading a book or from some skill that you're missing. Because guess what? We've all got Google. You know, you want to learn some leadership skill, you can Google it. You want to improve? You can do it. There are so many resources now. Really the things that are standing in the way of most people embracing their leadership style are these beliefs that we don't even know we have. And these beliefs can really be that barrier that keeps us from truly stepping into being a leader in our own way. And so this begs the awkward question, which beliefs are limiting your potential as a leader, because we've all got blind spots, right? Things we're maybe a little uncomfortable talking about. It's not quite so so easy to uh, to think about. I mean, it might be something that brings up a little fear or doubt, right? It might be something that you've got an idea, but it seems ridiculous. It's too embarrassing to say it out loud. And so, these are the things that, even if they might seem small. They're what's really holding us back. And believe me, I'm no better than anyone else. I've got these too, right? And that's what led to a lot of these stories I want to tell you folks. Because I went through the hard way of learning these lessons. So thank goodness you folks will not have to do that. Um, so let me tell you a few stories from, from my, my days at various places in Silicon Valley. So first one's from Adobe. Great company. They, to, they taught me everything. I mean, not just product management, but how to be effective, right? How to get stuff done, how to communicate, how to influence. And so I'm so grateful for my time there. I'd never take it back. But I was there eight and a half years. So when I started there, I was 22 years old. I was straight out of grad school. I had all the buzzwords like Ajax and DHTML. I was pretty cool, or I thought so anyway. And... I loved that role. I loved kind of going into a middle-aged company, shaking things up, getting crazy. But guess what? When you stay at a company eight years, you're not the crazy newcomer anymore. You're the old guard. And so when I started realizing that, you know, I'd get these messages from my gut, right, saying, uh, I don't know if this is the place for many more," but... I sort of reacted, saying, no, 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 it's very comfortable here. Nice paycheck, good hours, I know all the culture and all the people, I'm not going to mess with this, what, am I crazy? And so, I stayed, and I didn't listen to those messages that I was getting from my gut. And so this had consequences, right? Because I always said, oh, it's the next team, it's the next manager, it's the next whatever. They are excuses, my gut, I knew what was right. And so that's why I wasn't surprised when I walked into my boss's office one day after eight and a half years, and there was a layoff package on the table. Because I knew my time there was over. I'd known for a while, but I hadn't had the courage to do it. And so that's why when I hear from my clients things like, something doesn't feel quite right here. Or, guess I just have to suffer through it. Or, I know I should be pleased with this awesome performance review or this job or this manager or whatever it is, but I'm not. I'm just not. I have to say, listen to your gut. Try it, at least. And when I say that, I don't mean do whatever your gut says or do what's the first thing that comes to mind, but the key is listening, right? And actually being curious about what your gut has to say. Because guess what? Usually when it's talking, it's talking about values. It's talking about the things that you hold dear, that actually make you fulfilled in your work and in your life. And sure, it can be a little scary, because guess what? Your gut's probably telling you, hey, this comfortable thing you're doing, it's not quite right anymore. And if you want to be fulfilled, if you want to follow those values, you might need to make some change. So it's scary, sure. It's scary to listen to what your gut has to say. But the payoff When you can come to work every day, wherever you are in your growth, wherever you are in your career, and say, I'm fulfilled. I'm doing the things that just make me feel good. It's worth it. It's so worth it. It's worth every bit of work you put into it. So that's Adobe. Next up, completely different. I founded my own startup. I said, all right, I'm done with this big company stuff. I'm going to go with a friend from grad school. We're going to get funding from hot, awesome investors and get an office and hire a team and put a product into market and it's going to be amazing. And it was for a while, right? I got to live all those values that were so important to me. But there was a tension. that was growing. And the tension was between me and my co-founder because we were both product folks, but we were very different backgrounds, right? I'm kind of a more design-oriented guy, more qualitative. My co-founder is very quantitative. He's the engineer by background. And so, when we started to argue, we argued about who was right. I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Not quite that bad, but closer than I'd like to admit. But it seems so important. Right, we had all the decisions that the company in front of us, our mission, our direction—these big strategic things that were going to make or break us. I thought, no, this one I can't back down on. I have to be right. I have to make my case. It seemed so important. It wasn't though, because now, when I look back, I think startups aren't stable. Right? There's only a few threads holding them together. And the thing that was holding our company together was our relationship. My job wasn't to be right. My job wasn't to win arguments with my co-founder. My job was to make this company successful. And when we let our relationship deteriorate, and in the end into breaking up as co-founders, I mean, we'd failed not just ourselves, but our own employees, the people who loved our software and sort of wanted us to grow and succeed. And so that's why when I think about that, and I hear things from clients like, he's not doing it right, or I just can't get through to her, or even I might as well just do it myself, right? The ultimate manager's point of giving up. And so I have to gently suggest, why not let go of being right? Is it your job to be right? Or is it your job to build a great product? To build a great team? To build a great company? I think you'll find, if you think about what your job really is, it's probably not any of that little stuff. It's probably not winning the argument in the meeting or on Slack or whatever it is. It's probably about this bigger stuff. And so when we let go of our ego and let go of that feeling, that good feeling that comes from fighting for being right, and we really assign ourselves this job of making ourselves successful at this bigger mission, that's when you step into your role as a leader. Right? And that's the opportunity we have when we let go of being right. So, next up, Slack. My claim to fame. My only claim to fame. So, when I... When I left YesGraph, I thought to myself, all right, I am done with this drama, right? I'm just putting my head down, and I'm going to work, right? I've been doing product management for years. I know how to do this. It's going to be a walk in the park. And I knew, I knew from that first moment that Slack was going to be special, right? I knew it, and it was from the very first moment. We were growing like crazy, getting all this PR. We felt like we were really impacting the culture, the industry. And yet... I didn't really understand what my job was. Because I thought it was all the conventional stuff, right? Talking to customers, building a product team, building process, getting features out there. But guess what? That's just, you know, that's just the the day job, so to speak. What I didn't know at the time was that Slack was the CEO's baby. He put his heart and soul into that software. He'd been acting head of product forever. And so, when he hired someone to start the product team, when he hired me, he didn't hire someone to write specs or to talk to customers. He was hiring someone to take care of his baby. And that's a very, very different job description. And so... I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was when a month into my work there, I got an email on a Sunday night. I'd just come back from my bachelor party backpacking trip in the Sierras saying I was fired. He said, you know what? Looks like it's not working out, so let me know how you want to wrap it up. Real cash. And I thought to myself, ah, I panicked, right? Panic mode immediately. Fortunately for me, panic mode is productivity mode. So I wrote a whole email saying, I love this team. I love this company. I love our mission. I want to be part of this. Let me know what I can do to make this right. And lo and behold, my panic mode productivity paid off because Monday morning I had my job back. But it came at a cost. Right? Because now, there was the fear. Because I knew... Something was brewing. Something I was doing. and I thought I knew everything. Something was not right. And when I really dug into it, I thought, well, you know, there's something different here. I need to build trust. I need to do all these things. But that fear was already paralyzing me, right? And so again, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was again, or maybe I was a little less surprised, when three months later, I got fired for the second time. Second time was a little bit different, right? Second time was more, um, you know, we're going to eliminate your position and we want you to do this other thing, and, which I was not especially excited about. So again, panic mode helped me out. Full on panic, wrote a whole new job description, a whole new plan for how to do product development to try to address some of these issues that we'd been dealing with. And again, I, I pulled a miracle out of the jaws of death. You know, this plan got distributed to the executive team. We got buy-in. We got, you know, CEO's approval. And all of a sudden, I had my old job back again. Unbelievable, right? And so you might think this is a victory, but it's not a victory. Because you folks have only heard the two-minute version of this story, and you probably already know the two things that were hanging in the air between us now because number one, CEO didn't think I was doing a good job. Newsflash, you don't get fired twice in three months if you're doing a good job, right? I think this is not controversial. Number two, I was terrified every minute of every day, right? Because trust had been broken, right? If it was ever going to be trust. And so I sat there, right, trying to make it right, trying to do what I could, but ultimately just living in fear of what was going to happen next. When is the other shoe going to drop for the third time, depending how you count. And you might think, okay, okay, this is a little dramatic. This has got to have come out. Don't you have one-on-ones? Yeah, we had one-on-ones. But people's power of avoidance is amazing, or mine is, anyway. And so we went another nine months never, ever talking about this. Not really, not once. And so these are the lessons that I carry with me. Right, And so when I hear clients say, no, nah, no big deal. I'm just, you know, I'm not going to call it out. I don't want to make waves. Or I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be that guy. Come on. Or even, she's the boss. He's the boss. I can't say that. Not to him. Not to her. I say, it sounds very reasonable, but you've got to name the elephant in the room. You have to. Because if you don't, that elephant just gets bigger. Elephants are already pretty big. You get even bigger, they squeeze out all the air, they squeeze out all the options. You're stuck in this room where you can't do anything. And when you do name that elephant, guess what? It's not an elephant anymore. It's just a regular business problem like any other problem you might solve at work. It's something you can move on from. It's something you can do something about. And so... It's our responsibility as product people, as leaders, to do these things, to even when it's hard, even when it's uncomfortable, to step into that role and say, I'm gonna name this hard truth. Because if it doesn't, you know, it's not just about you know, the impact on your career, it's about the impact on your team. How many hard truths are you folks holding on your teams that haven't been said? And what would be the impact if you had the courage and the leadership to say them out loud. All right, last story. This one's less dramatic. I'm sorry, but uh, probably had our nice high as far as drama goes. And so the you know this current story is about you know my current gig, which is coaching, and it's been amazing. But I didn't know that was going to be my next step after Slack. I mean, I was broken after I left there, right? Because I thought, I've lost the biggest opportunity I've ever had, right? Only a year at this company that could have, you know, changed my career. You know, it could have been VP of something. I don't know. <laughs> and I felt sorry for myself. I felt like a failure. But I didn't stay in that perspective. Because I knew if I just feel sorry for myself, if I stick with that, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa where nothing's possible. What was that going to get me? Nothing. Definitely nothing. And so I chose the perspective of telling my own story. So I started doing writing and speaking like this. Because for me, Slack wasn't a failure. It was an amazing achievement. We did so much there. And I had so many lessons that I wanted to share with people. And if you go to my website, I've got lots of talks on what I learned at Slack. But for me... It was really about realizing that I was a choice. I could choose the perspective I wanted to take on the world. So I got out there and started choosing, trying on perspectives for what was going to be right for me. I tried on doing a VP product role, right? Interviewed a bunch of companies, very prestigious, awesome places. But my wife and I had just had a baby. I thought to myself, another super stressful, super time-consuming job, no guarantee of success, you know, high likelihood of failure. Hmm maybe not the right one for me i thought about vc super prestigious right very fancy jobs but i'm a people person right i mean i can't imagine a life where i'm measured just by dollars i looked at consulting you know i did some consulting for you know uh, early stage startups looking to build product teams and the value wasn't in the deliverables i gave them the value was in the one-on-one conversations i had with my project sponsor. Because these are people that are trying to do something big, something meaningful for their teams. And often, they didn't have a, a lot of people to support them or to talk to. And so I was able to be that person. And when I saw the impact that I could have in an hour with someone in a conference room, just talking to them about what was possible for them in their life, I knew, I knew, I knew that was the right path for me. And it's not because it was without risk. Whole new industry, whole new job, starting my income from scratch, from zero. There's plenty of risk there. But I really never had a moment of doubt. Because when you actually try on the different perspectives and choose the one that feels right in your gut, you know what to do. And so when I hear again from clients, that's just the way it is. Or there's nothing I can do about it. I'm stuck. This is just the reality I'm living in. I have to challenge them a little bit and say, why not choose a perspective where more is possible? Because there's never one perspective on the world. I hope you don't believe there's one way to see reality. We all have the responsibility to choose the perspective that offers us the most, not just for ourselves, again, but for our teams, for our companies. That's what makes us visionaries and leaders, right? Not just settling for that stuck feeling of, oh, there's nothing we can do. We better just settle for this uncomfortable compromise. But to say, there's probably more than one way to think about this. So why don't we get curious and really, really look at what another perspective could be and what it might offer us? Because when you do that, it's a lot more than just thinking outside of the box, right? It's really challenging that stuck perspective and saying, no, no. That's not the kind of thinking I want in my team. And I know and I can show you all that there is a perspective that offers us more, more possibility, more progress, more of everything that we want. So I phrased all these as things you do. It's easier to understand that way, right? Letting go of being right, choosing a perspective. But really, these aren't primarily things you do, right? As I discussed at the beginning, you know, leadership is more something that comes from within, right? It's not something that comes from these, you know, books and magazines or even, you know, aphorisms from talks, right? Leadership is something... That you, that you are. It's something that you're being, not something that you're doing. So let's look again at these lessons from that perspective. When you listen to your gut, you're being curious. You're being introspective. You're learning about yourself through that, that hard listening for the benefit of not just your own career, but again, for the whole team, for the whole company that you're working with. Because our worlds are so interconnected now. When you let go of being right, you're being humble. You're prioritizing your team above any personal ego or great idea you might think you have. When you name the elephant in the room, you're being vulnerable. You're being courageous. And you're all doing it in service of making a safe space to tell hard truths that need to be told. And when you choose a perspective where more is possible you're being a visionary. You're being a leader. You're being optimistic. And again, not just for yourself, but for your team. And I think that's the responsibility we all have as product folks, is bringing that perspective that offers our teams more. So as you could probably tell, these lessons mean a lot to me. They were hard one, so you get them for free. OK, almost free. And it's been really meaningful for me conveying them to my clients and to you folks as well. So my challenge for all of you is I know these things sound simple. Sounds like it might be nothing. It's not nothing. Try embracing them in your own lives and seeing what they make possible. That's it. Thank you.